I had COVID and had been struggling sort of with some of the long COVID symptoms, including executive functioning issues, which I had never experienced before. But when my husband said to me, this is what it's like for me all the time. He has ADHD. And he said, this is what it's like. You know, I'm starting to write lists and sticky notes. I've never done that kind of thing before because it's all just sort of been in my brain or I would not be able to pull the word out of my brain, or I'd stop in the middle of a sentence because I couldn't figure out where the end was. And he said to me, this is what it's like for me all the time. And I had a moment where I went, whoa, I knew that, but I didn't know that. Hello, and welcome to ADHD Essentials, part of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brendan Mahan. I'm a former teacher and mental health clinician turned ADHD coach, trainer, and consultant. I can be reached at brendan at ADHDessentials.com. Here at ADHD Essentials, we help families develop the skills and knowledge needed to better manage attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Visit ADHDessentials.com for more details. What's up, team? No real commercials this time around. We're just going to jump right into it. Welcome to the show. Today, we're talking to Amanda Morin. Amanda works in print and digital media as a writer and editor, empowering parents and educators to affirm the pivotal roles they play in children's education. She also played a critical role in launching Understood.org in 2014. In today's episode, we discuss what Understood is and why it's so valuable. We also discuss learning loss during the pandemic, masking, and the importance of acceptance for neurodiversity. All right, let's get rolling. I am Amanda Morin. I am the Director of Thought Leadership and Expertise at Understood. I'm also a writer, an education writer, so I've written a number of books on education, special education, a kid's book on empathy. I'm a mom to three kids who learn differently, have ADHD. I'm the spouse of somebody with ADHD and a learning disability, former teacher and early intervention specialist. And I think I'm the frontal lobe of our entire family. If that's uh, the introduction that helps at all. Yay. I'm sorry that you have to be the frontal lobe for the whole family. That's a little. No, it works. It works. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure there's plenty of people listening who are like, I am too. I'm the frontal lobe for my family. (laughs) And, you know, it works for us. We, we have all our little routines and so forth. I will just say that the funniest thing in my house is when I say like, are you ready? And everyone's like, yes, I just have to put on my shoes and brush my teeth. And I'm like, so no, you're not ready yet. So you mentioned that you work with understood and you said it like it should just be understood what understood is. And I completely understand because it's, a powerful force in mental health and in education. But just in case, can we dig around and talk about Understood for a little while and what it is, how it came to be, what services and resources it offers and that sort of stuff? Absolutely. And I think I really appreciate you sort of calling that out. Um, I'm so entrenched in what I do that I hope that everybody knows Understood and people don't always. And so Understood is actually, you can find us at understood.org or even just you.org, which is really easy. Man, you guys are so cool. You're just a letter now. You're not even just a name. That's like if Cher was like, I'm C now. Well, I mean, there's also the fact that like understood could be spelled in all these different ways. So we get the U, you know, um, it is U letter U, not Y-O-U. So I'm just going to say that. 
Understood launched in 2014. So I've been with Understood since launch. Um, so I think that's why it's second nature to me to just say I work for Understood. We launched in 2014. It's a social impact organization nonprofit where our goal is to provide information and resources for families, educators, and people who learn and think differently, which is the phrase we use. And it's learning disabilities, ADHD, and, and co-occurring kinds of conditions. The goal is to provide information to help people sort of find their own path to thriving, right? And, and the people who support them to have the information they need, it's free. And that's really important. That was the founder's sort of vision is to make sure that there was free expert vetted advice in the world so that people who didn't always have access to clinicians and practitioners could really find the information they need. And one of the things that I love about Understood is it's the resource I really wanted when I started raising my own kids, to be honest. You know, and I say that it sounds kind of corny, but it's always true. It's it's true. And it's evolved over time. We started with a lot of information for families, then we moved into educators. And now we're starting to look at like, what can we provide to individuals and workplaces so that everybody can start making a world that's more accepting of differences? And I don't think it's corny to say that it's the resource you wanted for your kids, right? Like one of the things I go around saying is that I've basically became the person that I needed when I was a kid. That's who I am. And there's power in that, right? Like you, you felt it. You were like, whoa, that's a big deal. You just said the same thing only about an organization. So if, if that has meaning when I say it as a person, then it also has meaning when you say it about an organization. And what's really exciting is that we have sort of a roster of experts that we can turn to, right? You know, so my in my role, I'm one of the internal subject matter experts, but I oversee our roster of external experts who are already working out in the field and doing great things. And we can tap into their expertise when we have questions that come up that as an organization, we may not have ready answers to. And I think that's super exciting because as a parent, I learn from the experts I work with, right? And as a special education advocate, I'm always saying to people like my job is to help me put myself out of a job, give you the tools to put myself out of a job. I have access to all these people who are helping us have what we need to sort of be the person we want to help ourselves. Right. And it's really, it's a very exciting and, uh, you know, I feel very privileged to be able to do that on a regular basis. I view my job the same way. In fact, I got an email from a woman who I met with once she was in the parent groups. And then she wanted to work with me one-on-one -on -one about some job stuff going on for her. I met with her once and then we were going to meet every other week. And she emailed me yesterday and was like, so um, I don't feel like I need to keep working with you right now. Cause that one meeting like gave me the reframe and the perspective that I need to feel like I can be okay for a while. Is that all right? And I was like, that's exactly what I want. No, that's great. <laughs> well, and the, for a little while is so important in that sentence, right? Because when she runs out if she runs out of the, the tools and the information she needs, she can come back. And that's the cool thing, you know, is there are all these different entry points on whatever journey you're on as an individual, as a parent, and you can always kind of pop out and pop back in. And I think that's the joy of the kinds of work that you and I do is, is we're there when people need us. I totally agree. When it comes to understood, what kinds of expectations should people be having when they go to you.org or understood.org? Is there anything specific that they're 
they'll be best served if they're looking for this, or maybe less well served if they're looking for this, go to this other place instead. Where's sort of understood as a niche with regard to mental health and ADHD support and parenting and those sorts of things? So that's such a great question. I will say the first thing is when you go to understood, um, it's vast. There's a whole lot of resources. Um, one of the, the, we did a redesign of the homepage so that you can sort of choose who you are in relation to the, you know, if it's you, if you're a parent, if you're an educator, so it can sort of point you in the right direction to start. We have sort of what we call a subset of core issues that we, we really specialize in. And it's specific learning disabilities in writing, reading, and math. And if you're in the medical field, that's specific learning disorders. It's, you know, education versus medical terminology, ADHD and executive functioning, speech, speech disorders like expressive and receptive, not speech fluency disorders and speech impairments. So we also deal with sort of all these co-occurring components of that but only as they relate to those core issues, right? So information on anxiety and ADHD, managing emotions and ADHD, sensory processing and other issues. Those are the kinds of things we cover as well. But I will say, you know, flat out, we, we are not an organization for people who are looking for information on autism, although we may have information and support that can help you in parts of that journey on your life. Um, but we did that very specifically because that's where we know there was a need And that's where we have the expertise. And we want to really keep that tight core issues so that we're not sort of wandering into all of these spaces where people are already doing really good work. I want to, I want to expand upon what you said about your homepage because it's even better than what you described. So I'm going to, I'm going to pull it out a little bit if I can put you guys over. Cause it's not just, I'm a parent, I'm a care, I'm a caregiver. I'm here for me. I'm in educator, right? It's I'm a fill in the blank. It's basically a Mad Lib. So it's I'm a blank and I want help with my or my child's, depending on which one you pick, blank. And then this other thing and then this other thing, right? So you're picking kind of three things you want to help with and you're providing your role. And that's important because it's a critical reframe because you're going to get people like me who come in Cause I've seen websites that are like, what are you? Are you a parent? Are you a person with ADHD? Or are you like an educator professional who works with ADHD? And I'm like, yes. And as a guy with ADHD, I don't immediately start thinking, oh, they want to know what audience I am. Like they're trying to define their audience. I get a little like, no, I'm all of those things. Look at how cool I am. Why won't you let me click them all? Right. And it gets confusing for me because now I'm like, I don't know where I'm supposed to go next. And you're not letting me move deeper into your website because I have to pick something. And I'm not, I don't know what to pick, right? So I guess I'll find this information somewhere else. Whereas with you guys, you're going, here's your role. What is it that you're looking for? And that I think is critical. And it shows the thoroughness and the level and depth of thought that Understood puts into the materials they create. And, And that's really important. And if I can go even a level deeper there, and also I have the same experience you do when I go to websites because I'm like, yes, and I, and I don't know where to go. So I think that's actually one of the reasons this looks like that is because there are a lot of people on staff like me who have that same experience or like, I need more information. But if I can go even a layer deeper, what that does on, you know, from a, a technical perspective is as you give that information, what we're doing is pulling up in like, articles and videos and checklists and all of these kinds of things 
that are tagged with that information. So it serves up a hub to you of information that's going to be hopefully useful to the selections you chose. And if not, it gives you a like a whole list on the bottom of I'm also interested in. And you can start clicking on those so you can go even deeper and say, okay, wait, this isn't exactly it, but I can go into organization or I can go into time management or I can go into anger. And we did that very deliberately because we know it's hard to sort through all that information and we want to make it as easy as possible because the goal is to get the information to you, not to get you to try and roll through all the information and find what's useful. Understood is one of those websites that makes me jealous because you're at the level of sophistication that I wish I was at, but I'm a one-man show and like I don't have the resources to do that. And and so I and I mean that in the most complimentary way. I'm really I'm not trying to be a jerk here. I genuinely am always impressed by Understood's work. Um, you guys do phenomenal stuff, and that's part of why I wanted to have you on. Was let's make sure my audience know that Understood exists because I'm not one to hoard resources. I want to share as much as I can. I love that, and also I will tell you, I am a little jealous too because we have an entire team that builds this website, and I'm in awe of their ability to do it. I get to be sort of the brains behind some of that but I watched them come up with this beautiful sort of storyboard effect of things. And I think, wow, what a cool job they have, <laughs> you know, it's. Cause it takes a team, right? Like we can't, you can't do everything by yourself. I'm, I'm learning that now I'm starting to hit the level of like, oh man, I have to start hiring people. You are not the first person I've had that conversation with it this week, actually. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. 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 <laughs> It's hard because you also need money to hire people. And I'm like, I don't really have the money because listeners, I, I some people think I'm like internet famous and I'm a big deal, but I'm, I'm a dude in his basement with a podcast. Like I'm not making money hand over fist. That's not a thing. And it, it takes money to improve and to grow. And that's where I am at the moment. And, you know, however, we as a field can amplify each other's work, I think really makes that much better. And it, to me, I think the way you say like not hoarding resources exactly is exactly the way I think about this, right? You have exceptional resources. You have an exceptional network of people. It's not our goal to compete. It's all our goal to sort of amplify and make sure everybody has the best of everything they can we can find and bring it to the surface level. It's no different than you go to one mental health clinician or you and like it's not quite working for you. You go to someone else and then they work better. Or you have one teacher for math and you're like, I don't like math. And then next year you have a different teacher and you're like, I love math. It's like, no, you love the teachers. Like you like or don't like the teacher. That's what's changing this kid's perspective on a subject. It's the same way with these resources, right? I'm not the only ADHD parenting person in town. I'm not the only ADHD person in town. I might work for some people. I might not work for other folks and that's okay. Go, let me help you find the other resources you might need so that they can get you to where you need to be if I can't. Totally, totally. And I think that's that's awesome. And I, and I love that we're having this conversation because I think sometimes listeners, I mean, I'm going to, to laugh out loud at myself a little bit here. I host a podcast too. I host the In It podcast for Understood, but it's not it's not the same audience as yours. It may have an overlap. Um, but the, you know, I want to make sure that everybody has access to all of these different people and all of these different podcasts and all of these different things, because it's not about information hoarding It's about making sure that the best information that we can find is out there, you know, and I say we can find, cause there's always going to be more, there's always going to be more people to talk to and more things to, to look at. Given that you have a broader perspective than I do by way of working with understood and having 
a team that you get to talk to where I mostly talk to like me and my clients and, and like my network and stuff, but it's not the same kind of conversations that you guys are having. What are some of the, I don't love the word trends, but it's the word that's coming into my head. So we'll use that. What are some of the trends that you're seeing with regard to kids as a result, probably of COVID and, and what's been going on for the last two years? What are you seeing as the, the challenges, the difficulties, the successes, the wonders? So, so many things, and it depends on age level to some degree too, you know, and I, and I think it's not a surprise to say that the first thing we're seeing is concern around special education services being provided effectively um, and learning loss, right? And, and for a long time, you know, we called it interrupted learning. We turned it, called it learning gaps, whatever you call it, we're seeing it across the board. The interesting thing is we're starting to see it across the board in all kids in certain age levels and not just kids who have ADHD or learning disabilities. So that to me is an interesting trend because it means we're starting to have discussions as a field around things like structured literacy and accommodations for all kids, right? The things that you and I have probably been talking about for years, screaming from the Twitter rooftop or or whatever you scream from on Twitter saying like, this is beneficial to everybody, right? Um, so we're starting to have those conversations and seeing a lot of that. I, I have to push back on that. And I'm not, I'm not pushing back on you. I'm pushing back on a wider lens than that. But I hate the word learning loss. Or at, the, the one I really hate is my kid is falling behind. Like that, that, that view. Because when everybody falls behind, nobody fell behind. Like that's, that's not true. That's just not what happened. It's different. We did a whole podcast episode called why we're not calling it learning loss for exactly that reason, because I, I feel very similarly. I don't, that's why I use sort of the phrase interrupted learning or, you know, everybody's where they are, right? You haven't fallen behind from something. You may just not have gained momentum yet. And I think that's the piece that I really want to reframe when we have these conversations is let's look at what you're thinking you're behind from. And if everybody's in that space, maybe what you're actually talking about is changing the expectations and reframing what kids need to be learning to get to whatever standard expectation is appropriate, right? And and it's not about like, what did they lose? It's about what do they need to learn? And really what we're talking about is a need for systemic change. One of the reasons that the whole concept of learning loss drives me up the wall is because it's taking the wrong perspective. A phrase that I've been using a lot over the last year or two is, is it the fish or is it the water? I stole it from a mentor of mine named Chandler Creeden. He's been on the show a couple of times. I'm sure we talked at length about it when he was on both times. But that whole concept of, is it, is it the fish? Is it the kid? Or is it the water that the kid is swimming in, right? And learning loss mostly looks, makes us want to look at the kid and go like, oh, that kid lost their learning, right? And that's not what happened because the implication there is that the teachers did something wrong, except that they didn't because it's not on them either, right? Because it gets even bigger because now the school we could look at as the fish and educational theory, the broader culture of the United States and their approach to education, whatever, however we want to look at it, that then can become the water. So it's almost a Russian nesting doll perspective that we can take because sometimes the water is 
actually a fish. It kind of can coalesce together and become its own fish. And the next tier up, we can look at as being problematic water. And I think that's where we are when it comes to education in response to COVID and really in response to a lot of movements and and perspectives that are being taken that are undermining the, the usefulness and power of education in, in the United States, all of which drives me nuts. But specifically, I think COVID and, and the year of virtual learning that occurred, I think really shines a light on what are our expectations from education? What do we think should be happening? And really, how do we how do we get over ourselves a little bit? I think like sometimes we're just pushing our kids too hard and they're allowed to just sit. Yes, absolutely. I would, I could not agree more. And I've had a lot of conversations about the difference between schooling and learning in this time. Schooling is all around that sort of learning the systems that we do in schools, the routines, the lining up, the patients the you know, like all of these components of it, that's not necessarily about the learning. And I think one of the things that came to light with the virtual system, whether or not it worked well, because you know what? Teachers were thrown into positions they'd never, ever been in before. Oh, yeah. I no mean, no shade getting yeah, thrown on teachers yeah. at all in this show. Not, not even a little bit. So I want to make that super clear that I, you know, I have the utmost respect for my teachers who stayed in the classrooms. You know, I had many a moment where I was like, oh, maybe I should go back into the classroom and help them all out. Instead, I did a lot of webinars on how to do virtual accommodations and things like that. So I feel like, yeah, and it was, it was helpful. I think it made people feel empowered. But I think one of the things that we learned in virtual learning is there's no one way that you teach kids. And some of the kids that I know, my son included, my son who's now 12, he was nine, 10 when this all started um, and spent a couple of years doing virtual learning. He has ADHD, he has accommodations, he has all these things. It was actually really good for him because he could sort of choose his schedule. He could move around. He could do things in between. We didn't realize as a educational system that were that there were different ways to look at this and that there were kids who were going to thrive if you took away some of that schooling component, if you took away some of that social pressure, if you gave them different ways to access information that they didn't have before. You know, like asynchronous video learning, the power of having that in front of you whenever you need it is amazing. It really is. So those are the things that I would hope that we'd be bringing back into classrooms. Whether or not that's happening, I don't know. A friend of mine flipped her classroom way before COVID. She was on the show. She was like, I think in the 20s in terms of episodes for the show. So that long ago, um, if we're in like episode, we're in the 220s now. So it's like years and years ago, right? Um, And it's exactly what you're describing, right? This is pre-COVID didn't, so COVID kind of, she didn't miss a beat because she was like, oh no, it's already videos. Like I already have them all made. I've already done all of them for my units. Watch this video. And then when we zoom together, we'll work on stuff. Um, And that model, she talked about how powerful it is. She's an English teacher. So for her, it meant that the kids would go to go home and for homework, they would be learning how to write an essay what's going on with the book, that kind of stuff. They'd be reading the book and then they'd come in and they'd apply that knowledge. They would be writing the essay. They would be working on something with regard to that novel. Um, And it's, it's, and I've, I've spoken with other teachers since that they've, they've kind of done that now, like COVID sort of helped them get to that place 
which is a powerful learning model. One of the things that I loved about this time frame is it really elevated educators and especially special educators who had been doing that kind of thing on a regular basis as experts. And I think oftentimes we don't, as a society, recognize the expertise of educators, right? And I say that as a former educator, but also as somebody who's watching educators all the time, working with them, teaching them, learning from them, and realizing it is an expertise. It is really an art and a science. And our special educators were out there teaching general educators things that they've been doing all along, those flipped classrooms, those, you know, how do you provide multiple modalities for learning, things that were natural to them because they were doing it on a regular basis. They really had an opportunity to shine. And special educators too have been contributing to the general educator sort of knowledge base because during COVID, kids all of a sudden didn't know how to do stuff, right? They were, I don't know how to follow this assignment guide. I don't know how to start this essay. And it wasn't that they suddenly became less knowledgeable. It wasn't that they suddenly became less skillful. It's that they were and are living through a global pandemic and a worldwide trauma event. And that wears on our executive functions and it makes it more difficult to execute on whatever it is that we're trying to execute on. There's days when I can do all kinds of cool stuff. And there's days when I struggle to like find the milk in the fridge, even though I know where it is because it's the same place all the time. And that's just the nature of having ADHD. It's the nature of how much stress and pressure I'm under and, and those sorts of things. During COVID, everybody was on under a lot more stress and pressure. And, and general educators had to learn how to pivot and slow down and teach the process of doing the assignment more than they used to. It used to be able, it, it used to be you could spend a day and go, this is how the essay is going to work. Cool. Let's go off to the races. But now when the kids are home, they're not in person and they're stressed and anxious. All of a sudden we have to keep teaching how to write this essay. We have to keep teaching how to do this project. Whereas previously that wasn't the case except that maybe it was because maybe some of the reasons why some kids were struggling was because they didn't understand really what they were supposed to be doing. And that problem just got big enough to rise to the surface with COVID. I think so. You know, there are two pieces that I wrote. I mean, I wrote a lot during this time frame, but there were two that really resonated. One was, so when we talk about dyslexia, ADHD, those kinds of things, we talk about the one in five kids, right? One in five kids is the statistic we use. So I wrote a piece called we're all the one in five right now and talked exactly about that, how during this global pandemic, our brains sort of shrunk down to the immediacy of things, right? So all those executive functioning skills, they weren't working as well as they normally did. And we're all kind of learning how to, how to deal with that. The other piece I wrote was around reteaching routines in classrooms. And those two pieces were really popular, I think, because everybody thought, oh my gosh, all of a sudden, yes. I'll also add that I had COVID and had been struggling sort of with some of the long COVID symptoms, including executive functioning issues, which I had never experienced before. It's getting a little bit better. But when my husband said to me, this is what it's like for me all the time. He has ADHD. And he said, this is what it's like, you know, I'm starting to write lists and sticky notes. I've never done that kind of thing before because it's all just sort of been in my brain or I would not be able to pull the word out of my brain, or I'd stop in the middle of a sentence because I couldn't figure out where the end was. 
And he said to me, this is what it's like for me all the time. And I had a moment where I went, whoa, I knew that, but I didn't know that until I'd experienced it. And it was a really powerful moment for me to think, okay, I need to really think about how I'm reacting in my house to the people in my house who have ADHD, because of this experience for me is so frustrating. I need, you know, and, and like I work in this field and yet the empathy that I felt was totally different. I, just to understand that this is what it's like for some people all the time matters a ton. It's really meaningful when we have someone get it. When we had our kids and my wife wasn't sleeping, not just because she had to feed the kids because I'm one of those egalitarian husbands and I took a night and she took a night. So we each could get a full night of sleep every other night, but she suffered a lot more with the lack of sleep than I did because I was like, this is normal. Like I, I, it's like a mild difference for me, but for her, it was this massive sea change of her performance and her ability to do anything. And at, when she was better, when she was like mostly recovered from that, I was like, so that's what it's like for me all the time. Just so you know. <laughs> And she had a similar moment to you. Well, and what's really interesting is that at work, you know, so I work at an organization where this is what we do. And we have a lot of people who have ADHD. We have a lot of people who have whatever, you know, and I have sensory processing issues. So people know that I will walk away in a situation where I'm like totally overwhelmed. So they're really good about that kind of thing. But when I started telling people I was struggling, you know, I was having trouble with word retrieval. I was having trouble with some of these time management things because I was experiencing this from long COVID. The response I got was, it doesn't look like it. It looks like you're doing great. And what I kept thinking was, that's what people hear all the time. That's what, you know, nobody sees that underneath the water, you're paddling as fast as you possibly can just to stay above water. You're like, I think about the ducks, right? The duck paddling underwater. And I had a moment where, and, and I'm not particularly, I'm, I'm a pretty outspoken person. I'll just say that. I'm outspoken in the best, kindest possible way. And I'm the first one to point out in a situation, like maybe we should rethink that. Maybe you should think about how you said that. Maybe, you know, and people at work know that I'm going to do that. And so when people would say to me, you're doing great, I would say, but I don't feel like it. And, and that's what you need to understand is how hard I am working to actually look like this on the outside. And then, of course, I would always bridge and say, and this is a really good way to think about the people we're trying to reach and talk to and work with, because they're always paddling so hard under the surface to really just make it look easy. It's not easy by any means. So I, I, I think that understanding has been really helpful to me, too. We in the neurodiversity world call that masking, right? You're masking your neurodiversity. You're, you're, to the best of your ability, you're covering up your ADHD, your autism, your obsessive compulsive disorder, your oppositional defiance stuff. Like you're doing your best to not let that be seen by the outside world. And it kills you. Like it's, it's, it's like half of your effort is going to make sure no one sees that you're putting so much effort into checking an email or keeping your cool when someone challenges you or when they just ask you if you did the thing or not. And the weird thing is too, like, you know, I have obsessive compulsive disorder. I have generalized anxiety and all of these sensory processing sort of like things all, you know, so I, I identify as neurodivergent and it's funny because I do that regularly, right? I, I mask that I'm, but the, this 
this is the thing that like threw me over the edge to actually say it out loud for some reason. And I don't know why. I, and, and there may not be an answer, but it certainly helped me out myself in other ways too. And just say, this is exhausting. Is it, it is exhausting. And I need you, the people around me to understand that this is exhausting. And there are going to be days when I say to you, I just can't. And that that's an acceptable thing to say. And I think we need to normalize saying, I can't today. I think if I can play coach slash therapist for a second, I suspect that part of why you were able to speak up when you got long COVID and, and got hit with the executive functioning stuff, whereas you sort of either haven't been able to speak up or didn't feel the need to speak up with regard to OCD and anxiety and all that stuff is when you got hit with the long COVID and then executive functioning challenges, you didn't have a history of shame and trauma that came with it. That's fair. That's fair. It's different water. Yeah. It, like, like the water you swim in with OCD and anxiety, the water I swim in with ADHD, it's toxic water, but we're kind of adapted to it. And all of a sudden you got thrown into a different toxic pool and you were like, oh, this is not okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think, I think you're right in saying it was, you know, it it wasn't that I didn't feel the need to speak up. It was like, I just didn't at the time, like I didn't need to, I was who I was and people knew who I was. They didn't need to know the reasoning behind it. But all of a sudden I felt like I needed to explain why I was a different person who I was, that there were additional components to me that, that were quirky and unusually quirky from the quirky that I always have been. You know, I've always been really open and honest in saying, you know, I have sensory processing stuff. There's going to be a lot of times where I'm overwhelmed by, by things. I really need routine in my life as much as I possibly can, because otherwise I'm thrown. And I've been open about talking about that on a regular basis, but this was a new thing. You're absolutely right. It was a new thing. It was new waters. And I was so tired of swimming. I was just tired of doing it. And I, and I needed to to ask for the life raft, if that's the analogy there. Yeah. And I think it's important, right? It's important that we talk about our challenges, whether it's new because we have long COVID or it's because it's how we've been forever. In my world, I'm pretty out about the fact that I have ADHD, right? Like people know. I mean, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm on a podcast about it every week. And what that means is the people in my life know about it, right? And so, my impression, I haven't really asked specifically, but my impression, especially for the adults in my life who have kids in their lives that are neurodiverse, I think I'm a breath of fresh air. I think I'm a safe place without even trying to be a safe place because people I barely know, but who know me, right? Like we have travel in vaguely similar circles. So they know who I am. will come up to me and just randomly start talking to me about their autistic kids. And I'm like, awesome, cool. Let's do that. Because I'm safe, right? Like it's not, I'm not some random person. What's he going to say? What's he going to think? He's probably going to understand some of this, probably at a level that I don't because he's a professional and I'm like a dad or a mom or whatever. And he's going to listen. And that adds a level of safety. And I take that responsibility pretty seriously. When prior to COVID, it's these things have fallen apart since because we don't have as many people over. But I realized a year before COVID maybe that we had a lot of kids that were coming over to play board games at our house. Cause we used to have board game parties. I really miss them um, where we'd have like four or five families over at a time and people playing board games all over the place. 
And I started watching and I was like, there's some kids who aren't playing board games. They're doing other stuff. They're maybe sitting and doing nothing. And I realized because the parents talked to me about stuff because I'm safe, they all had dyslexia. And so I was like, this is an easy problem to fix. It's probably because they can't read to play the board game. So I just divided out all of the low reading, dyslexia friendly board games and separated them so that they're ready to go for those kids when they come over. And all of a sudden those kids played more board games. It, not all, it wasn't like they magically only played board games. They still sat and sulked sometimes. They still wanted to run around the backyard sometimes, but they played more board games than they were, which is all I was looking for. And, and what people can't see because they're listening to us is me grinning as, as you tell this, because I'm the same way. Like I'm pretty open about all of this. And people talk to me like people I don't know. And I feel really you know, honored by it. Right. And, and I take that. It's a very serious thing to me when we traveled a lot more before COVID, right. As professionals, as whatever, there was sort of this joke, but not joke in the office where people would say, okay, Amanda's traveling. How many people will just come and tell her about their ADHD, their dyslexia, their, their friend, their family. And it was sort of funny but it's also just really reflective of the fact that that safe place, we are that and people need it and they don't always need you to respond to it. They just need you to listen sometimes. And I think the power of listening is underestimated. And, you know, there's a difference between hearing and listening. I could hear your story, but when I'm really listening to it, you can walk away feeling like there's somebody in the world who cares and understands you and the value of that. And I certainly know the irony of saying being understood, right? The value of being understood, value of that is, you can't even talk about how valuable that is to some people. You just titled the episode though. You know that, right? I didn't mean to, but awesome. (laughs) (laughs) I think the value of being understood is pretty, works in a lot of different ways. (laughs) I mean, it really does, doesn't it? Because you are sort of this giant in the industry, right? You're, you're, you've written I don't even know how many books and articles and, and you're traveling the, the, at least the country, the world, probably to speaking and, and, and educating folks. What are some of the things that, that you've sort of championed and then watched the momentum finally take hold and it, and it grew beyond you or, or, or joined the cultural zeitgeist that you're most excited about? Um, I mean, inclusion, and and I I mean inclusion, not in the broader sense, but inclusion in the people speaking up to be included, right? So the word advocacy frightens a lot of people because it sounds big and it sounds important. And so I've really changed the language about that when I speak and I talk about speaking up for yourself. And I see more and more people starting to speak up for themselves in ways that then they come back and tell me afterwards, you know, I listened to you. I saw you model it. I saw you do this in a a talk and I felt comfortable starting to tell one person or two people or three people. And I've seen that grow and it's been extraordinary. And then there are the simpler things, right? So when I used to do, and maybe we'll go back to this eventually, I don't know, conferences in person, for example, I always had a mic runner. I always had, you know, when somebody would go and ask a question, I always had somebody with a mic to go to them because everybody always says, well, I can use my teacher voice. And my answer always was, this is not about whether or not you can project. It's about whether or not there's somebody in the audience who needs to hear this 
through a microphone from an accessibility standpoint. So those accessibility things that I've modeled, I see coming up over and over again, and I'm proud of it. I see people using closed captions on their PowerPoints when they didn't know how to before, and then I taught them how to. Those are the kinds of things I'm proud of because they feel very small, but they impact people in really big ways. You know, even I've taught a lot of people like the difference between you hashtag on social media using camel case, because that's what works when you have a screen reader camel case, uh, you know, it's so if you put accessibility matters, hashtag accessibility matters, the A needs to be capitalized and the M needs to be capitalized. So it's read as two separate words. It's called camel case because it looks like a camel if you look at the word. But things like just those simple little things really make big ripple effects. And I'm very proud of that. And just being mindful of time, do you have any ending essentials that you'd like to share with our audience? The value of being understood can be underestimated. That you're not alone in this. There's always a Brendan. There's always an Amanda. There's always an understood. There's always an ADHD essentials. And that speaking up for yourself is okay. Hey, you're still here. Nice. Thanks for staying focused all the way through. If you have any thoughts or questions about today's episode, feel free to email me at brendan at ADHDessentials.com. And don't forget to check out the website, ADHDessentials.com, and visit our Facebook community. I'm looking forward to talking to you again next week. In the meantime, keep focusing on improvement over perfection. 10% better is all you need. Thank you.